there and welcome to Thrive Church Podcast here in Puyallup, Washington. We're so glad you found us and hope you enjoy listening to this sermon of the week. I don't know why, but I hardly ever refer to it as that. I always, almost always refer to it as the, the as feasting on God's goodness. It just, I'd just rather have fun than, than fast from something, you know, it's like, let's do something fun. But um, yeah, about halfway through, um, and uh, for the last several weeks, I've been talking about awakening, and um talking about the awakening angel that is working in our midst, in our, in our church, in our lives, in our region. Um, right? Are you guys all like there? <laughs> um, last week I talked about awakening joy. Like, doing that on purpose, like waking up the joy and, um, and stir, intentionally stirring the joy of the Lord. That's like a good idea because the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? So if we get really joyful, we get really strong. So <clears throat> I just think it's good. But today I, I'm going to be talking about another area that God's waking us up, and that's in our faith. I mean, honestly, I'm being quite real that we already preached the same message through worship. Like it already happened. So um, uh, I'm going to be preaching the same message you already heard during worship. But um, that was what I already had planned anyway. So um, that's cool. It's in my notes. I can prove it. But um, <laughs> but regardless, here's a, here's a thought for you that is a good one um, or a question rather. How many think that the faith that you have in uh, in the prayer meeting when you pray a prayer is more important, or or is it more important the faith that you have after the prayer meeting? <laughs> Good answer, Meredy. See, I mean, we can we can get really you know we get the feel the. Pr- prophetic stirring we feel the presence of God and we like he's gonna do great things and we can go home I can I personally can embody this truth I can go home and tomorrow wake up and think nothing's ever gonna happen right I mean it's more important that I carry the faith that I'm having now in the presence of God into my circumstance tomorrow and live from that place so it takes changing our belief system. So this uh, this negativity fast, positivity feast that we're on, basically, um, I'm just preaching the basic premise of that whole idea this morning. There's probably lots of ways to describe it. Here's my definition, at least today's definition. <laughs> probably change it tomorrow, but um, but this this is it. We can change our life and the world around us simply by changing our internal world. We can change everything outside of us by changing the inside of us. That's a powerful truth. I mean, how many of you can change what other people think and do? You? I I can't. I have no power 
to force you or anybody else to believe something different than you want to believe. But what I can do is I can change what I think. I have power there. In fact, I'm responsible there. That's like I'm accountable to like, what is it I'm believing. So um, we can change our world simply by changing what we believe, what we think. So that's actually the title of my message today is what are you believing? Proverbs 23 verse 7 tells us that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Sort of an identity statement, right? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. His identity is wrapped up in what he thinks. Our inner thoughts create our perceived identity. It's really a powerful reality because here's the rea- here's the truth: we cannot sustain behavior that doesn't line up with who we believe we are. Anybody follow me? It's like I don't know if you're awake out there, but I just said something really good. <laughs> but <laughs> kidding. But we can't sustain behavior that doesn't line up with who we believe we are. We could maybe like have one moment where we like we step out of that and and pretend that this is what we're doing and going after that but but we'll slide back into we'll settle back into what we actually believe about ourselves eventually because that is what determines our our outlook our, it determines our our identity based on what we believe about ourselves so it's like that what a man believes in his heart so is he? We cannot do who we don't believe we are. Again, like when I'm saying that, what I'm saying is that sustained on a sustained uh, basis. We could, we could like do it in a moment, but we will always settle back to what we believe about ourselves. So it's really important to, to to fix that, right? It's like if there's if there's anything we can change, that's where we need to focus. Like I need to make sure that I'm believing the truth about myself. And here's that truth that I just shared. That's like the whole world believes that. Everybody believes that. What we have the power to do that's different than that is we have the, the ability to bring, uh, to renew our minds. We can change the input that goes in and therefore we can have a different experience from that point on. We can change what we think about ourselves. We can change our beliefs. If you believe that you're bad at planning, pretty much you're not going to be good at it. <laughs> if you if you believe you're bad at relationships, Bummer, because that's what's going to show up in your relationships. You're not going to be good at that, because that's what you believe about it. <clears throat> what happens is, is anytime we start to, uh, to step into something new and we believe like, you know what, that might be the old me, but I'm going to step into something new. What begins to happen on the inside is this internal battle over who's whose thoughts are going to win, what's going to happen. And uh, there's this pressure. Uh, I, may, I may talk about it later, but there's this pressure that's like, that's not who you are. 
you're the one who's bad at relationships or you're the one who's bad at finances or you're the one who's just fill in the blank there. This is an internal battle that starts, that's going on in us, that's trying to tell us who we are based on our past experience. Who have you experienced yourself to be? What does your track record show you? So in order for you to shift that, you actually have to begin to believe a different truth and begin stepping into it been reading this amazing book uh, that um, I'm not through it yet at all. I'm only like in the third chapter, but it is, it's transformational. It's a book that's not written from a Christian perspective. It's a book called Atomic Habits. Um, it's, it was a New York bestseller. I hadn't heard of it until recently, but I've been, I've been reading it and it's been, it's been uh, just hitting me right where I needed to hit me. So um, it, it's, it, it's talking about shifting our, our uh, experience based on uh, identity, not based on outcomes. Just real quickly, a premise of the book. You'll want to read this book, actually. I, I really recommend it. Um, it's, really, it's really helping me. But kind of the, the basic premise of the book is if you focus on the smallest things that po- atomic is a word that means like the smallest particle, like electrons and neutrons and <laughs> things you can't see. That's, that's the atomic stuff. Uh, so if you focus on like the small stuff, then you're going to actually achieve great results. Um, here's the, here's the reality. How many of you like have a goal this year? Like you want to fail miserably this year. Anyone? <laughs> it's like, I want to really do, I want to have a really poor year. To, you know, uh, nobody wants that. I'm surprised, right? You? No, I mean, we don't want to fail. None of us want to fail. Um, we've, we've been taught that the way to ensure that we don't fail is to set goals for yourself. Like, we need to be goal setters. Well, I want to, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with the idea of goals. I think goals can be good. But let me just, let me just throw a little wrench in that idea for a second because, um, this is this is just statistics that both both the people who succeed and the people who fail have goals. I mean, let's take the Olympic athletes for an example, right? Every single Olympian that goes to the games goes there with the intent of winning, right? There's nobody that trains for the Olympic Games and thinks, you know, I can do it. I can make it and I can get last place. I can't wait. No one's hoping they're going to get eliminated on the way to the trials. I mean, no one is, that's not their goal. They have a, they have a goal, right? But some people make it and some people don't. Is it luck? Or do the people that succeed, the winners, do they have a different game plan than perhaps those that fail? <laughs> You're like, I don't trust you right now, so I'm not answering. <laughs> uh, right now, um, I, I have, uh, I'm kind of following... I'm not kind of following. I am totally following the NCAA 
March Madness tournament that's going on. I know there's probably not a lot of basketball fans here in the room. Maybe there are a few of you that are paying attention to what's going on, but my team, my team is in the Sweet 16 round. We just, we won two games this weekend and we are rolling um, and we are setting up for another run towards the championship. My team has never won the championship yet, but they, I can guarantee you that's what their goal is. But um, if my team were to like get out on the court and they're like, guys, our goal is to win this game. We, at the end of the game, our goal is to have more points than the other team, right? That's how you win, right? If they spent the whole game looking at the scoreboard, what do you think would happen? Well, I can tell you this. If they spent their time while they're on the court looking at the scoreboard, they're going to lose. (laughs) If we focus on the goal, we're not actually going to win. That's what I'm pointing out there is that that's the goal, but we can't focus on that. We've got to focus on the things, the the little things that are going to carry us towards that destination. It's not that we don't have the goal. It's not that we don't, you know, think about like, guys, we want to win this game. If we win this game, we're moving on, right? We wouldn't want to not think about that. But let me tell you, when you're in the middle of the play, it's like execute the play. Be thinking about your responsibility. What do you, you know, you're supposed to do the pick and roll or you're supposed to, you're supposed to um, be there to, to help the other defender or whatever it might be. You do your job. You focus on doing your job, then the score is going to take care of itself. That doesn't mean that you don't practice. I mean, all of these things come into the, 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 the plan. But that's, that's how we, we focus on the atomic things. And I'm talking about today, when it comes to our Christian faith and what our, our, our life, as, this is really affecting every part of our lives. So I kind of, I hate to, to label it like this is a Christian faith thing. Because then we all kind of think, well, it's about religious stuff. But this is about like your ability to succeed at your job, your ability to succeed in your family. I mean, that's what this stuff affects. But this is the smallest particles, like our thoughts, right? What we think, what we believe. Scripture teaches us that we're transformed by renewing our minds. I kind of believe it. I mean, (laughs) it does. Transformation happens when we renew our minds. One of the greatest or perhaps the worst examples of how our perceived identity creates our experiential reality is the common belief among believers that we are just sinners saved by grace. And that, that is a teaching I grew up with. I heard it from the time I was a, a young boy. I'd, I'd hear people get up and just, you know, they'd say it from the, from the pulpit. 
I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It's, it's an idea that permeates our, our, our church experience. I'm so grateful that that's being changed, that that's actually being rewritten, that we're actually coming to a new understanding. And, um, you know, there, there are phrases that go along with this. This is probably one that you haven't heard recently, but it, it has the same flavor. Um, it it kind of has almost like a, a King James alliteration here, but it says, but for the grace of God, there go I, right? That's, uh, I hate these kinds of phrases. They reinforce a lie, and the lie is that when the dust settles, you and I are incapable of living a life without sin. In fact, I, uh, maybe some of you experienced this too, but I, I was, there were teachings, there were, there, were, there were whole messages devoted to teaching that we could not go even a whole day without sin. Like you, just like you can't do it because we're, Sinners saved by grace. That's just what we do. We can't, I mean, we need the grace of God so bad that we can't even go a whole day without sin. And the reality is that if your inner belief is that you're just a sinner saved by grace, what do you think your outcomes are going to look like? What are you going to do if you're a sinner saved by grace? You're a sinner, therefore you do who you are. You sin. But if you believe that you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his marvelous light, then you are an empowered, redeemed, justified, set free son or daughter. What does, what does it look like? What does that kind of a person do? What does an empowered, redeemed, justified, set free person do? We make powerfully good choices to exercise our freedom. Do you see the major difference in beliefs there? It's not that, it's not that I didn't need the grace of God. I still need the grace of God every day, but my identity is not based in that idea at all anymore. I actually believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit and by my connection with him, that I'm not prone to sin. I don't... I'm not prone to that. I'm prone to making really powerful, good, amazing choices. And if you can believe that with me, we can step into that identity and we can begin to see what it looks like for people who have that kind of belief system. In Numbers 13, we have a really amazing story. Dave was actually alluding to it during our time of worship. Uh, starts story starts like this. This is chapter 13, Numbers 13, verses 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Send men out to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. These are the leaders. Let me send out leaders. You guys know the story, right? So these are the leaders that are going out and, and spying out the land. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them who were heads of the children of Israel. Um, 
this is really kind of messed up, but we know the outcome here of the story. It, 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 it kind of unfolds throughout chapter 13 here, but at the, at the end of 40 days, this is down at verse 25, they were in there for 40 days and it was God's idea. Did you catch that? It wasn't Moses' idea. He screwed it up. No, Moses did exactly what God told him to do. He sent leaders, one from each of the tribes of Israel, to go spy out the land for 40 days. It was God's idea. But at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to him and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Now, you'll, if you go back in the story, you, you understand that they brought back fruit, a single cluster of grapes that they carried on a pole between two guys. I mean, we get like at the grocery store, we go to the grocery store, we carry these little bags of grapes home that probably has two or three clusters of grapes in it. You, you understand what this, this fruit that they're, they're bringing out is absolutely incredible, supernatural fruit. This is like crazy. It was so much, they had to carry it on a pole between two guys. Like, I'm just picturing Noah and Isaac, you know, like coming home from the grocery store, right? They've got the, they've got the bag of grapes hanging between them just so that they can handle the weight. These guys experienced the, the amazing uh, provision that God had put in this land. What kind of a land was it? It was flowing with milk and honey. Now, to be, this, was, this is not literal, guys. This is not like the rivers were, were, were milk. And it's a picture of abundance. It's a picture of abundance. Now, if you, if you know if you know the story, that, that idea, flowing with milk and honey, goes back to the promise that God gave to Abraham. I'm going to give you the land, and it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. So that, that, that phrase became their promise. They carried that promise. I don't know if you, let me do a little history here. Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. He has 12 sons. Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt. He's one of Jacob's sons, right? Saves them all from famine. Then, then Jacob, who's named Israel, and all of his clan moved to Egypt so that they can survive the famine. While they're there, they explode in numbers so that they out they outnumber uh, the Egyptians. So they get enslaved in Egypt, right? Now you follow, you know the whole story, right? So all through this time, this is a long period of time, uh, four hundred years from the time it was spoken. You can, uh, well, four generations, I believe it's, it says so in in um, Genesis twelve. You can look that up, but um, I think it's Genesis twelve or fourteen, maybe. Either either way. Um, they're carrying this promise, land flowing with milk and honey. They get back from this 
trip spying out the land. And they say those very words. This is our promised land. This is what we've been dreaming of. This is what God said it's going to be. It is exactly what he said. It is indeed flowing with milk and honey. But it's actually the very next word. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Oh, oh no. God didn't know about that when he promised us this land. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites. They got all kinds of ites there. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. It's like Dave was saying, they saw the same facts. They saw the same thing and Caleb had something different to say. Like, yeah, they're big. The cities were big. You know what Caleb was probably thinking? He was probably thinking, they do have fortified cities. I want one for myself. How about you? They have these really amazing cities. I want one. But they were seeing it as an obstacle. They were seeing it as an impossibility. So they shouted him back down. Caleb silenced them, but they like, they shouted him back down. The men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. I read a commentary on this. Now, if we were to figure out like the number of people that Israel had at that time, like who was with Moses and all of them, they actually had fairly good odds. Like just very physical, normal odds. They actually had a pretty good chance. The people that were in the promised land, they were kind of scattered all over in different places. They were in their cities. They, I mean, they didn't have to like do it all at once. But the, they, they had conservative estimates nearly, well, it was over a half million men that were ready to go to battle. Half a million people. 600,000 was the number that I, that I read. So their odds weren't even that bad in the natural. But they even refused to look at the natural and they went way below that. I mean, not, to, not to mention that they've been like supernaturally provided for. They just, I mean, they just, they just saw the world's most prestigious army drown in the Red Sea because of God splitting waters splitting open and they walked across on dry ground. These guys had seen stuff. These guys had experienced some amazing miracle provision of the Lord. And yet they walk into the land, they see it, it's exactly what he promised them it's going to be. And they chose to believe in their fear instead of believe what God said. Whoa. I just, I mean, I don't get that, but I mean, maybe if I was there, I would have been the same. I don't know. I hope not. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored, and they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. I don't know where they got that information because they were just talking about the giants living there. All of a sudden, these people that are there are being devoured. Don't understand that. All the people there we saw are of great size. 
I don't know if you're catching this, but they're like, they're fabricating a story now. Because that wasn't what they originally said. They weren't saying that everybody there was giants. They said there are some giants there. But now everybody's big. They're all big. We saw the Nephilim. Don't get me started on the Nephilim. Don't even do it. This, this phrase, this is in verse 33. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. You know, they didn't, they didn't do a survey of the giants. Excuse me, Mr. Giant, sir. Uh, we were wondering if we could ask you a few questions. Do you see us as A, a mighty people empowered by an all-powerful God or B, as grasshoppers? Moses, out of 100 giants surveyed, 98% of them said, you seem like grasshoppers. They didn't do that. What were they, what were they reporting? Their feeling, their fears. They, they weren't reporting how the giants perceived them. They were reporting how they perceived the giants perceived them. Right? That was their report. It came out of their own minds. It was their perception of themselves that they projected onto the circumstances. They projected it onto the giants. These giants, they, when they looked at me, I could just see it in their eyes. They thought we were grasshoppers. <laughs> I just, and you know what? We read further. This is in verse, this is in chapter 14. They were right. These, these spies, these 10 spies they were so right. This is in Numbers 14. The next day, actually, if you read the whole thing, which we'll read a little bit of it, but Numbers 14 down to verse 40, early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country saying, now we are ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned, but Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be, you'll be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites you will, will, will face you there because you've turned away from the Lord and he will not be with you and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the highest point in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. So you see, they were right. I mean, they went back, I'm sure, they came back from this little expedition to the whole camp and like, see, told ya. We can't do it. They were right. And I've said this many times before, but the reality is, whether you believe you can or if you believe you can't, you're right. <laughs> like that's... That's so real. That is such a reality. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. How many know they've done scientific studies about the brain? Um, way more. Uh, I'm glad they didn't use mine. Um, but they've done scientific studies about the brain and found that when you, um, that when, when you don't believe there to be a solution, that your brain literally doesn't look for one. They've, they've mapped the activity of the brain 
to say that when, when, when you don't believe there's a solution, your brain actually isn't looking for it. That's powerful, talking about what you believe. I'm jumping back to the top of Numbers 14 now. I read just a little bit from the end of chapter 14. But uh, let me just, I'm going to read through some verses here. This is the same night. This is the night they all came back from the spies being sent out. And it says this, That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. It's always their fault. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt, wouldn't that have been much better for us? Or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. I don't know if you're catching kind of the gist of what they're saying is that the people that were weeping and saying we need to go back to, to Egypt, you know, we should, would have been better for us to die in the wilderness. They're not saying that because of the judgment of the Lord that has said they're not going to be able to go up. They're saying it because they got to the promised land and they're afraid of the giants. They're afraid of what's in there. Because the Lord hasn't actually passed the judgment yet. It's down here in these further verses. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with the plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land. He promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. Moses is quoting a scripture there. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. And then the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. 
Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uprighted, uplifted hands to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected." But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. This is a, this is this really promising scripture here, Lamarine. This is super fun, isn't it? <laughs> your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explore the land, You will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to the whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. Now, thank you for indulging me on this whole passage here. It's like that was a little depressing. We talk about our promised land. Someone's having fun upstairs with the, those toys, I think. But we talk about our promised land. And I want us to just, I wanted us to kind of catch the gravity of what it means to believe in the Lord. Now, we're not living under this old covenant that they were under. So I'm, I'm not wanting to produce fear that's like, we better believe God or he's going to kill us. Obviously, that's not what I'm teaching this morning. But Hebrews chapter 3 gives us some really powerful thoughts here. They're referencing this, this very moment. They're, they're not... Uh, let me just let me back up just a second here. We saw the Israelites in the story as they walk, they go out of Egypt. They're even right at the moment of like just about to cross the Red Sea. They just didn't know it because the water was still there. God hadn't parted the waters yet, but they're grumbling. I mean, they said the same thing that day that they said here. Did you bring us out here to die? We have no way of escape, right? So 
they had been grumbling. They had been, they had, they had been this uh, doubting, unbelieving people the whole time. It wasn't just this moment, but it was this moment that mattered. It was this moment that they needed to step in and, and, and believe that what God said he would do, he would do. So this is uh, Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 7. It says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Now he is, he is pointed straight back to this moment that we've just kind of walked through in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Where your ancestors tested me and tried me, uh, though for 40 years they saw what I did, that's why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going to be astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall not enter. This is the same thing right here. God said to them, you are not going in. He's talking about that moment. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Did you catch that word? Unbelieving. No, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Speaking again, this rebellion in the, in the wilderness. It's actually quoting a psalm where it talks about this. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? This is the last verse of chapter 3 of Hebrews. And it says, see, so, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. There's lots of little words in there. There's, you know, rebellion. They did this in the rebellion. They, you know, they tested me. They, all of these things. But what he's after here is like, this is the thing. This is the thing that kept them out. It was their unbelief. They were not able to enter their promised land because of their unbelief. So when, when Dave speaks by the spirit of the Lord this morning, he says, it's going to take faith I mean, I, when, when we first began to, to dream about launching this church, stepping out from the, the church structure that we had had for about 35 years, 25 to 28 of that, which I was, of which I was a part of, when we began to dream about this, I, I began to calculate. I, I mean, I began, I mean, I'd like, we could sell the building for this much. I mean, are you with me? I'm just like, doing the math. We could sell the building for this much and then we would have enough to do this. We could buy, you know, could buy property. We could do these things. I began to dream about what that would look like. And it was very short order that the Lord began to tell me that if I thought that the money that we got from the building was going to do everything that he had in his heart for us to do, that I was mistaken. He's like, don't think that you're going to do this without having faith. 
it's going to require faith. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require that you stretch yourself to believe something that you don't have in your hand. It's going to take some faith. That shouldn't make us afraid. It's pretty simple. Would have been, I mean, it was pretty much a choice they made. Right? Caleb, Joshua saw the facts. Their choice was, I'm going to believe God. Ten other guys who were leaders saw the same facts and said, we can't do it. It's not possible. And today, just like in that day, unbelief will keep us from our promised land. It will. It can. Now, here's, here's the deal. Unbelief is not the absence of belief. Right? Most of this, I think you probably already know this. So you're like, I hope, I hope that's why you're quiet. Because you're bored. Like, hurry up. <laughs> Get to where I want to go. Unbelief is not the absence of belief, but it's faith in something other than God. Sometimes I think that the, that the faith that unbelief requires is a lot more faith than it requires to believe. I could, I could talk about people who believe in evolution for a minute. <laughs> like, maybe, I don't know. To me, that seems like they have a lot more faith than I do to believe that God said, let there be light. And it was. They have to believe a whole lot more. I think sometimes unbelief requires a lot more faith. But sometimes we have such great faith that our circumstances will always be hard. We have great faith that our weaknesses will always be the storyline of our life. I mean, we have this like, I'm convinced I'm bad at relationships. Ha ha. I'm convinced when we hold staunchly to what we think and we have more faith in the devil sometimes than we do in God. This is what I want to go after for just a minute here. How many have ever heard this phrase? New levels, new devils. <laughs> This is the belief that when we're stepping into new territory, a new season, rising to a new level, that we encounter resistance from the devil. Now, how many of you in this room have experienced that very thing when you've stepped into new places in God? I have. So, I, you know, when we say that thought, new levels, new devils, I've experienced that very thing happening in my life. And yet... I want to tell you, I don't believe that's true. What? You don't believe that what you've experienced is actually true? That's right. That's what I'm saying. When, uh, Steve Backlund tells his story about the same idea like this. He says that God came to him and said, Steve, why do you keep saying that every time you press into new territory that you get attacked by the devil? And he, he replied, Lord, that's because every time I press into new territory, I get attacked by the devil. <laughs> Wait a second. That's why I believe that, Lord. God asked him another question. Steve, do you believe that I have the ability to protect you? Steve said, yes, Lord, of course I believe that you have the ability to protect me. 
And he said this, Steve, when you say that every time you press into new territory, you get attacked by the devil, you're believing more in the devil's ability to attack you than you are in my ability to protect you. What do we believe more? Stepping into new things does require increased faith. As I was starting out, when we begin to do something new that, that is not defined by our past experience, everything on the inside of us begins to tell us, no, you're not that guy. No, no, remember, you're bad at relationships. No, remember, you're bad at finances. All of these things begin to wrestle on the inside of us. We go like, oh, oh yeah, you're right. I, I, I couldn't actually save money and get out of debt because after all, I'm really bad at finances. On the inside, that's happening. Now, we oftentimes would attribute that to the devil. Like the devil's beating me up. I start trying to save money and first thing that happens is... The washer breaks down and, the, and the, the, the car needs repair and all of this stuff begins to happen. And we just, we glorify the devil in those moments. The devil came after me because I was trying to step into something new. I, I don't know if the devil was involved in that stuff or not. But I certainly don't want to spend any time focusing on how good he's doing his job. I'd just rather spend my time <laughs> focusing on the fact that God's working all things for good. I don't know why my washer broke down. I don't know why my car broke down. I wasn't planning on telling this story, but I'm going to tell this story because the stories shift our lives. They shift our realities. This is my story. This is actually absolutely a true story. Um, um, in October of this year, I was starting to tell Mary some of this story earlier uh, before church um, until my wife told me it was 10 o'clock and I had to start the service on time. Thank you, Jesus, for my wife. Okay, so October, I knew I'd been kind of tracking this one for like five years. We paid off um, the loan that we had on our car, the one that's parked right out here. That's why I'm pointing here that car <laughs> we paid off that loan and I was like yes we paid it off but uh, some of you don't know our story our the whole history but uh, when we transitioned into ministry into pastoring the church we went through a financial desert for a while um, I'm not going to say that that was the devil I think we made some really bad choices and we did some stupid stuff and we ended up in a really difficult spot. Didn't, weren't able to pay our mortgage, weren't able to pay our, our, our debt payments that we had for well over a year. We almost got foreclosed on uh, in our home, but we, at the, at the, towards the end of this, we began to kind of make things right. We got our mortgage reinstated. We started making payments on that. And, and we started... Um, I started, uh, I was getting called. If you've ever done anything like what I just described, you get called by those creditors every single day, every single one of them. And I had about 10 and every single day they called me saying, where's my money? And so I did what uh, any uh, really strong believer would do is I hung up my phone and never answered it. Stop answering. You start to recognize the phone numbers. You know, that's that one guy. I'm not going to talk to him today. 
because I don't have any answers. I don't know what to do. I can't, I don't, right? This is a real story. So we did finally get all of our debts reinstated. We didn't default on anything. We didn't file bankruptcy, none of that. It's just, it was a personal belief. I just didn't want that. So we just began to uh, make arrangements to pay off our debts. So, I mean, there would be like debts that we owed thousands of dollars and we'd say, we'll pay you $25 a month, which would be laughable. That's like, that's ridiculous. But they would accept it because it was something rather than nothing. So we have for however many years that has been, we've been paying off on these debts. They were all set up as automatic transactions coming out of our bank account and we knew about the, the payments and so we were able to budget that and we have begun managing our, our finances a lot better than we were doing at that time. Um, so there's some hope for some of you maybe, like you can get better if you think you're not good at finances. You weren't nearly as not good at finances as I was displaying in my, in my life, right? So um, you can get better. So we begin to pay off these debts. Now come October of this last year, not only did we pay off our car, our car payment, the loan on the car, but we paid off another debt. Only I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know I did. Everybody say bummer. How many understand that if we don't know what's going on in our situation, we can't really celebrate when God does something. Because it's like, I didn't even notice. Because I just didn't even, I wasn't even aware of it. That's what happened. So October rolls around. Um, we pay off a debt, didn't know it. November comes around. They still take the payment for November. And then December comes around and they mail us a check. Checks in the mail, everyone, right? They mail us a check and we put it, in the same pile of documents that we get every month from them in a drawer that we don't even open. No joke. So the check, we didn't actually know we got the check. So we stuffed the check along with all the other documents that we get every month into the drawer until December rolls around and they'd already issued us the check, but I didn't know. And I'm like watching our finances and I recognize that that payment didn't come out. Oh, oh no, maybe my card is expired, you know? Maybe the card they were, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I got to find their number. I don't want to like end up three months from now owing them three times as much. So I'm like, I'm trying to find documentation so I can call these people and make sure that we get things updated and get up to speed. So I dig through the mound of papers that's in the drawer. And what do I find? I find the check. And then I find that we actually paid this debt off in October. Like I figured this all out, right? So I decide, at that moment, I'm like, this is not right. I'm going to figure out what we owe on every single one of these debts. I need to know. It's like, that's what a responsible steward's gonna do. Am I being transparent enough for you guys this morning? Is that helping you? I don't know if it is or not, but not, you'll think I'm really terrible and you'll never come back. But hopefully it's helping you. So I figure out what the balance is on every single one of the debts that we owe. And let me just, I'm going to fast forward without telling you the whole, like every 
day-by-day story. Since that time, we, ha- we, paid, we paid one off in January. We paid two off in February. I paid another one off in March. And I get to pay another one off as soon as my tax return comes. Plus the, the, the car payment, right? That's going to be, that'll be six different debt payments gone in four months' time. Probably would have not known about all of them. <laughs> I'm like, I wouldn't have known what happened. But God helps us step into new things. And I've just begun to believe that he actually is helping me. He wants to see me out of debt more than you, than I want to see myself out of debt. Same thing for you. He wants to see you increase in, in, your, in your relationships. He wants to see you do, do better uh, with planning. He wants to see you do better with, with, with relationships. All that stuff he wants to help you with. But he's looking for a people who will believe. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the key word in key phrase in this scripture is in believing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What is it that you're believing? What are you believing? If we could miss our promised land through unbelief, what do you suppose brings us into our promised land? Believing. It would be really great if we could become believing believers. The churches all around the world have people in them that are unbelieving believers. And we all go through moments where we experience that. We're a believer. You know, I'm saved. I'm going to be going to heaven. But my lifestyle reflects a lot more unbelieving sometimes. Not saying that necessarily about me, but I am saying that that's that's the picture. That's what that looks like. Sometimes it does reflect what my life looks like. But I want to be a believing believer. Steve Backlund says it like this. We get saved by believing in Jesus. We experience transformation by believing like Jesus. I want to encourage you to go and read Romans chapter 4, kind of in light of everything I've been uh, talking about this morning. It's talking about Abraham. And he believed God was credited to him as righteousness. That's kind of the passage, Romans, Romans 4. But verse 16 says this. It says, therefore, the promise comes by faith. Dave, you preached the message, right? Therefore, the promise comes by faith. It doesn't come any other way. You can't get there without it, Right? It was not through the law. I'm just capturing different phrases here from Romans 4. do encourage you to read it. It's good. What was, what was Abraham's situation when he believed God? Anyone know? He was old. He had no heir. Yeah. 
What? Yeah, there's one though that it actually references in the Old Testament that he believed, and it's the time that Dave was referencing. He had no heir. God said, yeah, I'm going to make you a, a father of many nations, many nations. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And he's like, how does that even matter to me when my servant is going to inherit everything? And God takes him outside, shows him the stars, and said, just as many as the stars are in the heavens, this is you're going to be your descendants. That's where it says, and Abraham believed God, and he credited it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, again, he was already old. When he got the promise of Isaac, he was really old. We're on the backside of the story. We look back and we see it like, yeah, God did it. God, God does amazing stuff. Abram had to live through it just like you live through your life. He's like, Sarah and I, we don't even like that thing. That's why Sarah laughed, in case you're wondering. Sarah laughed at the promise because they're like, we don't even do that anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry to get a little graphic for you. That was their, that was their situation. And yet, they believed God. So I want to encourage you to believe God for your situation. Let's pray. Jesus, sometimes we look at our situation and we have so much faith in the devil. So much faith in our own brokenness. So much faith in the difficulties that we face. And we don't give you the credit that you deserve. And so, Lord, right now, we just want to shift our focus, shift our eyes away from the power of the enemy, away from uh, the, 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 the real stuff that goes on in our own hearts. And we want to proclaim that you are amazing at fulfilling promise. You do amazing wonders. You blow our mind with how you fulfill your word to us. You're so good. We choose right now, Lord, I choose right now to believe you that you're leading us into a spacious, beautiful, blessed land flowing with milk and honey. Regardless of what it looks like, regardless of how it looks like we could get stomped, I choose to believe you that you're going to deliver us into a great and amazing promise in the future. We thank you for it, Lord. And if you, like me, are declaring that in your own heart, God wants to meet you right there. And he wants to credit something to your account. He wants to say, you believed and it was credited as righteousness. <laughs> Amen. Mm -hmm.